And now, ladies and gentlemen, Skywalker. Hi, and thanks for tuning in. It's so great to be back. And and thank you for that wonderful introduction, Jim Davis. Uh, so nice to hear that. And thanks for uh, uh, tuning in to uh, the Radio Memories YouTube channel while we've been on a hiatus for two weeks. We appreciate that. I, I certainly do. Uh, it's good to have you back. And uh, we've got a great show for you today. Uh, radio legend, Southern California radio legend, Ted Ziegenbush, best known for his time at Coast 103.5. Of course, he just retired in 2020, and boy, such a long career there. But, you know, Ted has had a long career before that, and uh, today he is here to share his radio memories. And joining us from his home in beautiful Orange County, California, Ted Ziegenbush. That's right, radio legend Ted Ziegenbush joins us now. Ted, it's so good to see you. Good to see you, Dave. It's been a while. Yeah, it's been uh, quite a while. Yeah. So, so what's going on in your world? Well, I um, I finally retired from Coast in January of 2020, and so many people said over the years as we discussed retirement, um, I said, you know, well, I'm, I I think I'll just hang on until they ask me to to head out the door. And different people like Johnny Kay said, you know, Ted, they're never going to tell you to go. <laughs> I mean, you're, you're willing to do any show, any time. You could do love songs. You could do mornings. Everything. And it's never going to happen. But um, my wife was getting impatient, you know, because we talked about it for a couple of years. And I think we, we were allowed to travel. I say allowed because I told Coast in the summer of 2018 I said, you know, I'm thinking of going to Europe. My wife uh, was a caregiver for a 103-year-old man who passed away. And he set aside money for us to take his ashes to Latvia. And I said, I had even, where is Latvia? (laughs) One of the Baltic states. And so um, I said to Kosa, you know, I'm not going to let my wife go by herself. Uh, I, I want to accompany her on this trip. It's a, it's, you know, a bittersweet trip, but I would like to go. And since we're going to be over there, I'd like to stay a few extra days, maybe see London for a few days before we head home because we had to fly in and out of there. So I said, you know, I understand if, if it, if it's time, cause I've been here since 1982. If it's, if it's time, I understand I've, I've had a nice run. I'd all miss all of you. And they said, oh, no, no, uh, take, take your time off. I said, I'm going to be gone a little over a month, five weekends. Oh, that's okay. And I, I couldn't, I was in shock when they said that, you know. <laughs> I would be too. Yeah, in radio, people don't give you that many weeks off. But, um, you know, finally, it was time. And we both agreed that um, you know, it was a good time. to. And the weird thing is that, realizing it was January of 2020, it was just days before, you know, everything just collapsed from from COVID. So I felt fortunate um, to leave when I did, you know, they were more than happy to, to realign the staff. I was not the only one that left at that time. 
And um, people have asked me if I miss it. Um, I mean, radio is all I've done since I was a kid. And um, yeah, I miss it in some respects, but I had to prepare myself mentally. I knew I couldn't do this. I mean, I know Charlie Tuna worked into his seventies and look at Art LeBeau, my God, what a, you know, what a machine, you know, that he just keeps, keeps going. But um, I said, I'm going to want to enjoy life and I'm not going to want to have regrets that I, I didn't retire sooner. I've been a program director. I've been a consultant. I've done mornings in LA. Uh, You know, I did the love songs thing for decades and um, what, what else am I going to do? You know, let's, let's take a Let's take a trip Dan in the, in the way back machine. Let's go back. And so where do you start in your career? I was, this goes all the way back. Well, I could go back even further, but um, when I was 12 years old, uh, the Cayman out in San Bernardino, KMEN, came on the air on my birthday in March 10th. And I felt like it was a birthday gift to me. I mean, the guys were so, so fun. Um, so exciting to listen to. And we all got wrapped up in it as young kids. And I was listening to Bill Watson on afternoons and he was a really popular guy. Called him Mr. Kicks. I don't know what, I'm not sure what that ever, how that ever went together with Bill Watson. But um, he was quite an entertainer. And I thought, I wanna do a favor for these guys. I want to do a radio poll, uh, a survey, and, um, you know, call people and ask them what radio station they're listening to and come to find out that the most popular station at the time was Cayman. And keep in mind, I'm 12 years old. So (laughs) I'm not sure, you know, what kind of response I got from, from many of them, but most of them gave me an answer. Um, and I completed the poll and I was determined that I wasn't going to quit till I had a thousand calls. I don't know why that number, I guess I thought, you know, that's the perfect, um, it was a big number. Yeah. It was a big number, especially when you're 12, Mm -hmm. uh, to, to hit a thousand. So, um, I completed it, came in hands down. Uh, was the number one selection, KFXM, the other top 40 in town was number two. And uh, the news stations and beautiful music or uh, adult contemporary, whatever they called it, I guess they called it adult standards in those days, you know, Vicky Carr and stuff like that. Right, right. I finished it up and like a little 12 year old kid, uh, not with crayons, uh, probably with pen, I put together this little um, scroll that said, you know, congratulations to the Cayman for the winners of my telephone poll. And Cayman used to take a lot of phone calls in those days Mm -hmm. from the listeners. Sure. Uh, The interaction with the audience, I think, is what put them over the top. Oh, yeah. Um, Audience interaction, that local, you know, 
once again, connecting with the audience. And and this is what radio doesn't do anymore. Oh, I, I we all miss that. Yes. Uh, I mean, I'm speaking as a, a universal we, speaking for other people, but I think it's true that, and that's what I was doing on the Love Song show on Coast, was interacting with the audience, taking phone calls, letting their voices get on the air, letting them share their feelings. And so... I called up Bill Watson and I said, hey, I did, this, I did this survey and you guys are way number one. And keep in mind, they had only been on for about a year at that point by the time I called him, maybe not even that long. And um, he, he not only took my call, he said, uh, um, well, could you come down to the radio station some, some afternoon? I said, yeah, I'm in school, but you know, after school, I could, I could come by. And so my parents drove me to the station. We made an arrangement and I went in and asked for him. And he said, come on into the, uh, come into the control room with me. Well, I mean, I'd never done anything but look inside a window, you know, from outside a radio control room. So here I was standing in the, uh, in the uh, control room with Bill Watson and he, he says, we're going to go on the air and explain this. I said, oh, okay. <laughs> and he tells the audience, I've got a guest in studio here. His name is Ted, and he's done this radio thing. Ted, tell them about the poll. And my mind went, poll? What poll? <laughs> as a 12-year-old, I don't know that a, rate, that a survey or calling houses is a poll. Sorry, but... I was 12. You know? Right, right. And so um, I guess I looked dumbfounded long enough that he said, uh, the survey, the, you know, oh, okay. <laughs> so I said, well, we called these thousand people and came in one. I can't remember the percentage. It wasn't even close. I mean, and we didn't coach. I didn't want to coach anybody. I wanted to know the truth. And so he said, well, Thank you for that, Ted. And just for doing that, you have won the Bill Watson Spike Award. I had no idea what that was. I found out later, Bill Watson used to work on the railroad and he had old railroad spikes. He, he, when he left the railroad, he kept a big box of them and old rusty nails that he would give you. Here's your Bill Watson Spike Award. <laughs> Consider so, it an honor. Yeah. When I saw him decades later at a Cayman reunion, uh, and we're talking, you know, a, a long time, like 35 years later, I said, you know, I was that little kid that he goes, oh, my gosh. Why didn't you tell me that when you sat down? Because I just sat down like a fan for a while. I didn't want to, like, you know, launch on him. Um, and he, he just... You could see it was, again, you know, it's like when you walk up to your uh, elementary school teacher and you've, you've showed up at her 92nd birthday and you go, remember me, I'm Teddy from, you know, 50 years ago. <laughs> and I think it was shell shock for both of us, but, uh, but it, was, it was fun. And that's where it started. Once I had seen the inside of a radio station control room, and it looked like you were an air traffic controller with all the stuff you're doing and all the fun and answering phones and entertaining people. Uh, I was hooked. Yeah, yeah. You're, you're just locked in for some reason. Yeah. Yeah. So I asked him if, 
you know, if there was anything I could do around the station to help. I, in those days, I don't think there was a word intern. You were maybe called the gopher. Or the gopher. Like that. Yeah. yeah. And uh, the, the funny thing is, um, uh, I got home, you know, my mom said, do these guys know you're 12 years old? <laughs> I said, mom, I don't know, you know, but uh, they were really nice to me. And uh, next thing I knew, um, I was hanging around there a little bit. I would go by after school and they would let me in because they knew me and they had seen me and the boss, Bill Watson, knew me. And so I just kind of, you know, shuffled papers, did things for them. And then the regime, as always happens, the regime changed mm -hmm. around 66, 1967. And suddenly everybody I knew was pretty well gone. And... I remembered that they had promised me a bunch of record albums for something I had done for them. I don't know if I'd counted votes for their annual countdown show or something like that, but um, it was it was worth asking about. And I said, you know, um, I understand Bill Watson's not here anymore, but I did a bunch of work for him and, and he promised me some albums. And they said, okay, we'll look into it. And Brian Lord, who is another legendary uh he was popular uh not only in san bernardino but became like the casey Kasem of canada for decades um brian lord said uh, i'll take care of you kid you know come on by we'll pick out some stuff and give it to you so i gave uh, he gave me a bunch of albums and uh in in some ways i started i met johnny darren and other people at that time and so I was just, I w I'm sure I was the little pest, you know. You know, this is the oddest thing because both you and I started at 12 years old. Yeah. I started at KGIL in the Valley, also the little pest. Um, Johnny Darren was working oh there when yeah. I started there. Uh, Rick Scary allowed me to have a career and to go there stay there till I was 15 and a half when I went to KTNQ, 10Q. And then I lucked out into a gig, on, an on-air gig, because they were selling the station and they wanted to get rid of their public affairs. And Mike McVeigh wow. gave me Sunday morning, 3 a.m. to 6 a.m. But it's really odd, the same people and the same timeline that you and I kind of started and, and the same people. I'm a little bit. I'm, I'm. I'm a little bit younger than you are. Just in you naming the the timeline, just really odd. As I'm hearing your story, it's just really strange. And I've been to the Cayman Studio so many times because I did afternoons at ninety nine one, and yeah. and we were in the same probably building you went to in San Bernardino at the time that I was working at ninety nine one at which was at the transmitter in, in uh, San Bernardino. It, it, I had to throw that in there because it's just a really odd connection. It is. And I, you know, I tell people, I, uh, people will say to me, well, you think other people could get started that way today? Interesting question because no, I don't think so because of uh, the, the concerns, you know, for insurance, having somebody there that's not an employee, I know for years with iHeartRadio, 
unless you were a broadcaster journalism student and you were getting credit, you, you, in addition, you had to be getting credit for being around the radio station as an intern. Right. There wasn't any other way to, to shadow people or, or learn the business. And no, they wouldn't allow you in the radio station. Yeah. And I sat in and said, you know, around 1968, it really kicked in for me when Johnny Helm, who was the nighttime guy, took a liking to me. And he told me they were going to, they were thinking of doing something called high school news. And once a week, one of the San Bernardino high schools would come on and you would get a minute to 90 seconds to talk about what was going on on campus. And he said, you know, we haven't really put the word out yet, but would you, would you like to do your high school? And I said, yeah, are you kidding me? And he said, okay, well, I'll tell the program director that I've found somebody already for that school. And so I started doing that and hanging around after I, I did my report um, and Johnny Helm let me, you know, stay in the control room, watch him go through all the motions. I would be there for a couple of hours. And um, then uh, even when they finished doing the, the student reports from the high schools, Johnny let me hang around. And I said to him one time, I said, you, you were like my first mentor in, in this business. What in the world led you to allow a high school kid you didn't know, you know, hang around the radio station? He said, I've never, I don't think in my career I've ever seen anybody as interested, as passionate, as determined as you were to be a part of radio. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And he never said for a guy that didn't have a radio voice, because the joke around the station was some of the guys thought, you know, hey, cute little high school kid over there wants to be on the radio, but he's got a tenor voice. He's never going to be on the radio. <laughs> I, in fact, Harry Scarborough, who later became a boss jock uh, on Kino and Fresno and KGB in San Diego, Harry worked at Cayman for a while. And Harry said to me, Ted, why do you want to be in radio? And I said, I love music. I just love the music. I, I mentioned a few other things and he said, I think the radio business would be, would you, you ought to be a promotions person for, for a record company. Uh, that's what you ought to do. And I, I could tell what he was doing. He was not trying to discourage me, but kind of said, you know, I don't think you're set out for this. Subtly saying to you, you yes. know, yes. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, I didn't let that bother me. I mean, Harry and I stayed friends for years. I helped him produce an air check that got him the job in San Diego. So uh, there was no sour grapes there. But uh, no, if you're determined, nothing will distract you. Right. It's, it's like Ken Levine. Uh, everybody told him he had a horrible voice. I what, a what a terrible thing to, to tell a youngster, you know, yeah. who, who's determined to be in the business. And, and how many of us were told that, you know, um, and finally, you know, one of the, the greatest things that Ken says when he signs on 10Q is uh, finally on a big L.A. radio station with my voice. It's Beaver Cleaver on 10Q, you know, and, and it's like uh, 
you know, KHJ would never hire him in a million years because he didn't have that KHJ sound. Yeah. So, you know, if you're determined, it doesn't matter. And, and, and it, and, and you will prevail. And we've seen that. You know, you don't have to have all the assets lined up. Um, but luckily for me, I, Mark Ford, uh, who later went to work for Drake Chenault and helped produce the history of rock and roll, Mark was the midday guy that came in while I was there. And when they actually gave me my own weekend show on Cayman, and um, when I knew that there was a good possibility I wasn't going to get to hang around because they were starting to go through some management changes and the morale around there was uh, getting pretty low. And I thought, you know, I better ask for some letters of recommendation um, before um, before the, the whole thing collapses around here and some of these guys, because I'd seen guys disappear, just gone. Oh, yeah. And guys that I admired, guys that I, you know, well, see, as a kid, you don't, you don't realize that that's the business, you know, that that's going to happen. But nature. I was smart enough, you know, right. I said, Mark, would you write me a letter of recommendation? And he wrote me the nicest letter. And in it, he said, I don't know what it is about Ted. He's young, but he's, he's so relatable and he's so down to earth and the audience just loves him. I, I almost hate picking up the request lines and hearing people say, when is Ted coming on? <laughs> but, and I, I thought, I, I said, Mark, you, you didn't have to. He said, no, no, I was, I, heart, that was heartfelt. And I said, well, uh, that means the world to me because Cayman was the only place I had worked at that point in my career. Mm -hmm. You know, I was, I was there for a long time as a kid, finally got a show. They made me the music director of Cayman and assistant PD uh, when I was 20. And all the guys were at least eight to 10 years older than me. And uh, I just, I, I had an incredible start in my hometown. I, believe me, I feel like the luckiest guy in the world. I don't know what they saw. That's why I, I hold on to those words from Johnny Helm. You just had a lot of passion and determination and I could tell you really love this business. You weren't doing it for the money. You weren't doing it, you know, to meet girls. It was because you love radio. The passion, the passion. It was oozing out of you. And those guys could see it in us. Yeah. And they really could. They really could. Well, willing to do anything and, and, and hanging around late hours, they knew. I could have been with a girlfriend. I could have That's been right. with my buddies from baseball. I you know, but here I was hanging out at the radio station, not worth a whole lot other than doing the coffee run or getting a Coke out of the Coke machine for the guy that's on the air. But whatever it was, whatever it was, you were there, man. You were there. It, all of us, see, guys like us, the radio geeks, and there's no longer, I mean, we're, we're, uh, uh, you know, we're Don't forgotten. I know yeah. you want to say a dying breed. You don't need to say that, but <laughs> yeah, we're but, extinct. Uh, we're extinct. We really yeah, are. Yeah. It, it, and there are many people who believe, you know, that uh, radio lives on and it's, it's just as good as it ever was. Um, they don't know. They don't know what we live through, you know, when, when uh, there was no internet, when, yeah, when you were competing with television, and that was about it. 
Mm -hmm. And you had the audience's attention. You had their full-fledged attention. Oh, absolutely. And they would drive out to the radio station. You know, I mean, you really had fans. I mean, there were people who, who literally were your fans and yeah. would do anything and go anywhere to see you. Yeah. It was amazing. It was an yeah. amazing time in radio. And, and, and you know, just, just in the country. Uh, this last uh, presidential election, and I'm not going to get uh, political, I'm, I'm just going to state something that's a fact. That for the first time, I noticed that they didn't say, and tune in your radio. They talked about television. They talked about social media. They told you to go everywhere. But for the first time, and you can go back because it's on YouTube. Everything's on YouTube. You can go back and look. But there's no mention for the first time ever of radio. Honestly, honestly. And it was so loud to me, who's been noticing that stuff for years, that I said, God, this is the first year no one's mentioned radio. Mm -hmm. Because they said, you can get your facts, you can get your election results, you can go there and this and this and this. And they mentioned every medium but radio. It's no longer even factored in, which yeah. is sad. So I, I, where do you go to, where, where's your first big gig? Well, after leaving Cayman, um, I, I got into the record business for a little while, working for what they called a rack jobber. And they serviced Kmart's and two guys, all kinds of big, big department stores. I came close to getting a weekend job at KEZY uh, when Arnie McClatchy and Mark Dennis were the leaders there. Mark and I talked about it many times later. Mark said, again, I'm just, I'm just repeating what people said. I, I'm not saying that it was necessarily the truth, <laughs> but Mark said to me, Ted, you were too good for weekends on KEZY. And I said, Mark, I was a kid. From, from weekends that came in, how was I too good? He said, I'm not, I'm not saying that because we didn't hire you, but honestly, um, you were destined to do more than that. And you'd have been stuck here. You know, people, people didn't leave uh, signals that got into Orange County in LA. And so I said, well, I, so I guess I appreciate that. So uh, Quiz, K-W-I-Z in Santa Ana hired me to do nights during the summer uh, with the possibility that I would get the shift full time. And when the summer came to an end, uh, Earl Trout, who was the PD there at the time, uh, decided to make a different choice. But by that time, I had technically been on kind of in Los Angeles on an AM station uh, and had a lot of fun and had that feeling I was making more money per hour. I couldn't believe what they were. I said, you're going to pay what? <laughs> it, was, it was i'm trying to think back it was like five times what they were paying us per hour it came in in san bernardino yeah and so that was fun and then one day my my college uh broadcasting teacher from san bernardino valley college where i took the telecommunications program both tv and radio 
he called me up. He said, Ted, this is Bob Birmingham. I said, hi, Bob. What's up? He said, you know, there's a there's an FM station in San Bernardino that's looking for a morning guy. I know you were on Cayman for a few years. Uh, would you like to get back into radio? Would you be interested in doing mornings over there? Nice. Yeah, I mean, I want to get back on the radio if there's a chance to get back, especially in my hometown. And he said, well, I'll have him call you. And uh, Jim James, who was the program director of KCAL FM, called me up and hired me, I mean, right away. Uh, um, and I did mornings on KCAL. And I said, that was the biggest learning experience in my life. When I went there, uh, I started out, they were a full service station. We did news, we did sports. Mm -hmm. I went out and covered Redlands High School football, uh, Redlands High School basketball, and we also uh, ran the World Series one year. We had hockey playoffs one year, and we played literally everything from the big bands, uh, Glenn Miller and Benny Goodman, to Neil Diamond and the, the artists that were popular in the 70s. It was the strangest format. Kind and of that full service kind of format that they oh, used it, to have. It went way beyond the term full service. <laughs> so sometimes I thought, what are you going to ask me to do next? But honestly, I threw myself into it and I said, hey, if this is what it is, this is what it is. And I went to the library literally every week for months to learn the big bands, who the guys were, what their popular songs were. <laughs> and and uh, I even went as far as to, to determine, you know, Vic Damone and Vicky Carr and what were their most popular songs. And Andy Williams and said, we're going to play this stuff. I want to know about it. And that impressed the heck out of the owner of the station. When he found out, he could not believe that this format that he loved, I mean, that's why it was on the station was he thought it would be fun to do something like that. And um, so one thing led to another and we did that for, for a few years. And then KNX FM in Los Angeles was kicking butt with that soft sound. Uh, and you might recall, you know, they would, but they would sneak in soft songs by Glenn, uh, not Glenn Miller, uh, Glenn Miller stuck in my Steve Miller band. Right. You know, they, they played yeah. Wild Mountain Honey, and uh, it was a very eclectic format. Yes, and yeah. it clapped. They would play Art Garfunkel singing Second Avenue or things like that. And we said to the owner, because the, the the owner's son was the program director, and he desperately wanted to modernize the station. You can't blame him for that. He was my age. Yeah. But they were playing rock and roll at night because, hey, that, that was the thing to do in those days. But um, we said, is there any chance we could, like, you know, kick it up a notch and do this? KNX, I mean, if you want to make some money and want to have some ratings, and we finally convinced him that we could do that. So then we that's when we did that format uh, in the daytime and the rock at night. And about the time that KNX FM started waning and having problems, our ratings started 
going down. We've been doing pretty well and holding our own. And um, we kind of panicked and said, could we go rock full time like the nighttime? I don't know about that. That, you know, at the time, the superstars format with Burkhard Abrams was really taken off across the country. And so that alone is what allowed us the opportunity uh, to switch to rock full time album rock. And so KCAL FM launched uh, in the late to mid 70s. And uh, they're still rock today. And that's when it became album rock, right at that point. And and I was the guy who stayed up all night and changed the library and labeled the albums and then still went on at six o'clock in the morning as Ziggy in the morning. I was Ziggy in the morning uh, for the rock format. And uh, did that until 1980, when I was offered mornings at 91X in San Diego. And I guess you could, if you want to say that, that was really, for me, felt like hitting the big time. Yeah. Top 20. I stayed at 91X. Um, Later, they offered me uh, the program director's job at Mighty 690. So so you went from KCAL to 91X doing mornings yes which was in tijuana yes and tijuana tijuana (laughs) you gotta say it right they they took me down there during the daytime to show me where the studio was uh you know and i thought okay this isn't that far across the border and i i yeah i was there a couple of times yeah it wasn't that it wasn't that far no and i thought why can't they have the mighty 690 at this location too? Because yes, I'll let you tell, finish the story because you became the program director then of the mighty 690. Now, did well, you, did you not, kick it off? Did you kick off the mighty 690? No, actually the consultants, um, uh, Frank, Frank Felix and Roger Agnew. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Felix and Agnew kicked it off. Uh, I'm, I'm trying to pinpoint it. I think it would have been uh, the late summer or early fall of 1980. I was doing mornings on 91X and thinking there's got to be more than this. You know, I, I, I think I, re- I was getting to the point where if you had a goal in your head, hey, I want to be a program director by the time I'm 30, I better get to work on this. And so I was desperately looking for a programming job. And Erica Smith, that worked for Atlantic Records, called me one day knowing that I was looking. And she said, Ted, I don't know if you're interested, but they need a program director in Las Vegas for one of the top 40 stations there. Would you talk to the guy? So when I went to, that's how I got to 690, KLAV, right? Yeah, KLAV. Alvin Korngold was the owner. (laughs) Yes, that's where they sent me. And that's how I got to 690. Yeah, Rick Richardson was a television guy. Who Alvin had, Korngold was a nut. Oh, yeah. You I were mean, lucky not to go there. Well, no, I went. Oh, my God. Oh, shit. I, I took the job, and I was actually there for two months. I went there, too. Yeah. I was there for three months, and then they shipped me off to 690. Oh, well, see, for, for me... John Lynch started calling me because we were beating Keno in the ratings. Oh, John Lynch was our GM at yeah. Noble. 
Yeah, Lynch called me and said, would you come back and run 690? And I said, what? He said, yeah, we need a real program director. You know, Frank and Roger are fine, but I need somebody to pay more attention. We want to do promotions. We want to, so would you come back? And I said, John, I'm happy here. They're paying me well. Hollywood Hamilton, who I didn't know that he would end up being the Hollywood Hamilton we all know and love. Uh, Hollywood was doing mornings and I bumped him off of mornings to afternoons because I needed to do mornings to be able to get my work done and program the station the rest of the day. I mm -hmm. hated to do it because he was very creative, even in those days. Mm -hmm. But um, John would not take no for an answer. And when he increased the money, offered to put me up in a hotel until we could find a house to rent in San Diego. Did they uh, ever put you up in the house in Mexico? No, oh, no. God, that was a horrible house. No, no. I um, finally, I thought, now here was my reasoning. I mean, I, I, I said to myself, okay, now, what are you doing in Las Vegas? Well, I'm trying to make a name for myself to do what? To move to a larger market. To do what? To program a larger market. Well, hey, dummy, San Diego's number 20, right around there, and it's a bigger market. It's a much bigger market than Las Vegas. Why are you saying no to John Lynch? In January of 81, I was back in San Diego, um, and running 690. And um, I didn't realize- So at this off. point, I'm still at K-Hits 97. This is really funny. Oh, Because we're, we're about to miss each other. This is really funny. Because I'm about to leave K-Hits and go to KLAV yeah. to program for-, for for Agnew and Felix, the and it's the it's the mighty six ninety format. Oh yeah. yeah, it's the same mighty six with KLAV instead of the mighty six ninety. Yeah, same format. And, and the crazy, it's, this is amazing to me hearing your story because I can't believe we've missed each other every every step of the way, but we've paralleled almost every step of the way. So and I, then off to coast, where you yes. crush KHTZ. Well, and, we didn't mean to do that. <laughs> well, <laughs> you put a lot of people out of work, uh, yeah. and uh, and that was uh, that was an amazing thing that happened, and left you left greater media scratching their head because they put a lot of money into research. And the next time we get together, because this, I'm sorry, and I didn't mean to stretch this so long and take so much of your time. And we always we always do this because we end up talking about so much stuff. But I I, I want to invite you back, Ted, and 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 I hope you have time to to come back and visit. And I know you're doing uh, kind of renovations with your home right now, and you're, you're you're doing stuff, and you're kind of busy. But I hope you have time to come back and talk about the coast days. Because oh, yeah, there's so much. There's so much to talk about. And and uh, but it's good to to uh, get your history and your background well, uh, starting in the business. And uh, gee, what an interesting, interesting past uh, 
that I didn't know anything about. And I hope people found it interesting. And, and we really want to know about this, you know, coast because you've been there since 1982 and you left in what, 2020? 2020. Yeah. Wow. What an amazing run. You should be called the amazing Ted Ziggenbush. That's an amazing run. And of course, people love your voice. For for someone that was told, hey kid, yeah. you know, maybe you ought to try something else. Can you juggle? Exactly. You know. Uh, but an amazing career. So if you have time, please, please come back. Oh, I'd be happy to. Thank you. Thank you for your time. Ladies and gentlemen, radio legend, really, he really is. Ted Ziggenbush, thank you for your time. Ted, take care of yourself. Thank you, Dave. Appreciate it. What a great pleasure it is talking with Ted Ziggenbush. And, and he is as nice of a person in real life as he is on the radio. And I certainly hope he, he comes back to the show uh, because he, he certainly has more stories to share. And uh, look forward to having him back. Thank you, Ted. Uh, coming up next week, uh, another great radio veteran, uh, not only on KMET when it was number one, but uh, he was also the program director of KHJ, uh, Rick Scary. Uh, he is now also one of the, I think he's one of the top five most recognizable character actors. So, um, and he is the guy that introduced me to the wild world of radio at 12 years old. He allowed me into this world. And I am so excited to have him on the show next week. Rick Scary will join us for more great radio memories. Check out past interviews on the Radio Memories YouTube channel. Click the link.